Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Amen. So glad that you're here today. We are in week five of our series, Marked, A Life Turned Upside Down. You know, many of us, how many of you felt like your, your life's been turned upside down from time to time? You're like, what is happening here, right? You feel like you're in the upside down world, right? That there's stranger things going on in your life. <laughs> Sometimes that's how it feels when we, when we are walking with the Lord. But today we're going to be looking at an amazing event that happened, and it's in Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles today, I invite you to get your Bibles out. As we turn to Mark chapter 9, we're looking at a big word called transfiguration. How many of you have heard of the word transfiguration before? We don't really use it a lot. We use the word transfigure. There's a transformation going on. And we're looking at this amazing thing that happened when Jesus led his disciples up a mountain. Up a mountain. How many of you, you, you find that you have extra time in your schedule? You have more time than you can really use. You're like, man, how am I going to use this extra time that I have? If you're like me, I've never felt that way, except when I was like maybe in elementary or a few times in high school when I was bored looking for something to do. But the older that we get, it seems like the more that we take our schedule and we fill it from end to end. Anybody with me this morning, right? Am I the only bad planner? We just take our schedule. Whatever time we have, we fill it up and we fill it up and we fill it up. But what I've found is that there's often times that God steps into my life and slows me down, and he leads me away. And one of the ways that God leads me away is he, he leads me away for times of prayer, these prayer retreats. Prayer retreats have become a, uh, a habit of my life because there's times that I need to get away. And one of my favorite ways to retreat away from everything is to do what I call a prayer hike. Has anyone ever gone on a prayer hike? Do you know that you can pray as you hike? Do you know that the tougher the hike, the more I often pray as I get away? And one of the things that I love about in a tech city like Seattle, where you're, where you are constantly surrounded by things, when you head to the mountains that surround us, you can actually get out of cell coverage, right? And depending on, on your provider, maybe it's easier to get away from cell coverage than some others. But we can kind of get away and get unplugged. See, these prayer retreats are essential. These times of being pulled away are essential because we are constantly bombarded. There are constantly notifications that pop up. And here in Mark chapter 9, we see Jesus leading his disciples off in a way like this. He's taking them on this prayer retreat because we know that the voice of the Lord is continually speaking. God is always speaking, but so is everybody else. Everybody else is speaking around us, and it can be hard to hear sometimes. So God is taking, Jesus is taking his disciples. He's leading them away on this prayer hike. And here's what it looks like. Follow along with me. Mark chapter 9, we're focusing on verses 2 through 13. It says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, because Peter just can't stop talking. Have you seen that through the series, right? Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he said this because he didn't really know what else to say. How many of you have been there, right? You don't know what to say. You're like, why am I speaking now? Why why am I speaking? And they only saw Jesus with them, okay? Then a cloud overshadowed them. 
And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other, what does he mean, rising from the dead? (laughs) Was this the first time that Jesus said he's going to rise from the dead, he's going to die? No, this is six days after we had the whole thing that happened, right, where, where Jesus tells how he's going to die and rise again, and Peter rebukes him, then Jesus rebukes him back. See, the disciples were very confused, even though they had a lot of head knowledge, so Jesus is pulling them away, pulling them away. So as we look at this incredible prayer hike, we're going to focus in on, on a couple of key aspects. One, mountains are important. Everyone say Important. Important. Mountains are important. And Peter, he needed a mountain experience. So mountains are important. Peter and the disciples, and really all of us, we need those mountain experiences. But we need to pay careful attention because Jesus didn't tell us to live on those mountains. You get what I'm saying? Mountains are important. We need that mountain experience. But we're not meant to live on that mountain experience. But mountains are important. Whenever you read through the Bible and you see a mountain showing up, you need to get ready because whenever there's a mountain, especially in Scripture, something big is about to happen. Something very big is about to happen. And as a matter of fact, something really big happened here most recently with a mountain. Uh, Some friends of mine, uh, Trenton Good and Kim Good, I think they're here today. I see them here, right? There's Trenton. Trenton, stand up, Trenton. Yeah, this is Trenton. Trenton recently... I didn't even tell them what you did. They just clapped for you anyway, okay? Trenton and his mom, Kim, they recently climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Have you heard my sermon about Mount Kilimanjaro? Yeah, Kilimanjaro, okay? Recently climbed it. And that's very cool, but there's also another cool part, that in the process of climbing it, he also recently became an Eagle Scout, because climbing a mountain is not enough. And while he was doing the, the, the climb... They did a ceremony that they are in the process of getting it put in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the highest ceremony. Isn't that right? Did I say that right? Isn't that cool? So you never know what's going to happen. You might be an Eagle Scout just climbing a mountain. But even as we look at Scripture, we also see some other mountains. We see things like Mount Sinai. You've heard of Mount Sinai before, right? Moses? Right? The Charlton Heston, for those of you who, who, uh, who, who lived through those movies back in the 70s, or was it 60s, whenever it was? Things got to Newfoundland 10 years later. So going through, right? Mount Sinai, Moses going up, the Ten Commandments coming down. See, it's on these mountain experiences where God often meets us and he reveals himself to us in a very special way. And here, Jesus, in this passage, it says that Jesus led them up the mountain to be alone. See, when we need to be strengthened, God often moves us to a position where we're alone. See, we are encouraged with others, right? And we're often tested with others. Have you ever been tested by people around you? Right? We're tested with those around us, and we're encouraged by those around us. But when God is trying to speak a specific word to our life, he often pulls us alone to ourselves through circumstances or situations like this where they are heading up a mountaintop. Because see, these times, this is often where our biggest transformations happen. There are things that happen to us publicly that people see, 
But often the biggest transformations that happen in our life are in times when God, he sets us apart, he pulls us to the side, no one or very few people see, and there's a massive transformation that's taking place. See, Jesus often withdrew. Have you noticed how often Jesus withdrew? And did his disciples like it when Jesus withdrew? No. They're like, where are you going? Where's Jesus? He's gone again. Why is he withdrawing? He's the son of God. Why does he need to withdraw? But see, Jesus was even instructing us in this. He was instructing us how we need to live because if Jesus needed to withdraw, how much more now do we need to withdraw? These were times that he pulled back. But the disciples would often miss this. See, withdrawing is often very inconvenient, isn't it? How many, you, had a hard, you, you find it hard to get alone? There's no alone moments, right? I, I, I talk to moms to talk about, they try to even just go to the bathroom and lock the door to get alone, and pretty soon these little fingers start coming under the door from their kids, right? Or slipping them notes, what are we eating next? When are, it's very hard to get alone. It's very inconvenient for us. The disciples were often confused, and at times they were even irritated. And even when Jesus would take them to places and say, let's just pray. Let's pray for an hour. Let's try that. And what would happen? People that he called the rock would be sleeping like a rock off to the side. The disciples missed it. But when you look at Jesus' ministry, it's impossible to miss how prominent these mountaintop experiences were. See, it was on mountains that Jesus prayed. It was in the mountains that Jesus would preach. It was there he would perform miracles. It was in the mountains that Jesus would be tempted. It was in the mountains that Jesus called some of his disciples and sent them out into mission. And it was on a mountain that Jesus fulfilled his passion of dying for you and for me and for everybody. There's something significant about this that we need to look at. See, mountains are important. Because Jesus realized, specifically in this situation, that Peter and the disciples, they needed a mountaintop experience. They needed a mountaintop experience. See, God is not a God that we just know about. It's important to have information. It's important to know and to study to show ourselves approved. We see that part. We worship God with our mind. But God is not a God that we worship from afar. God is a God that we worship up close, personal, intimate. He even calls us friend. He says, I call you friends because I've revealed to you the will of the Father. This is a close relationship that we're being called to. See, head knowledge is not enough. It's part of it. And because of who we are, (laughs) we're fallen, being transformed. A lot of times we'll say, well, it's not just logic. And we hear things, well, then logic is not important. That's not what I said. Or we'll talk about, you know, surrendering and having these experiences. Well, you're saying that experience is all that's important. That's not what I'm saying. See what I'm, hear what I'm saying? Right? It's not here and here. It's everything. The word and continually shows up in Scripture. We're to worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything that we have is God's. It's total surrender, so we worship Him with our mind. The Bible is one of the most critiqued books of literature that we have. It's the Word of God, but it's been combed through. Professionals have looked at it. It is documented. There's so much in there that we need to study and know. It's the very word of God. We study him. Online now, there's massive resources for understanding scripture. We look at them and we study them. But we don't replace that with God's voice. Because God's also calling us in deeper. He's saying, I want you to know my voice. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to respond to my promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
See, James says it this way. James says that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. We are called to live out what we know because as a professor of mine said in university, he looked at me once and he said, Dwayne, knowledge that is not applied, in other words, lived out, diminishes in value. What that means is that when you know something and you know it to be true and when you say that you own it, if you don't apply it and live it out, what was meant to grow is now diminishing in your life. Because if you don't do it, if you don't use it, you what? You lose it. God bless you. You use it or you lose it, right? If you don't use it, you will lose it. That applies with everything except your hair. I use my hair a lot. I'm losing it, okay? (laughs) Everything else, you use it or you lose it. You use it or you lose it. This is the principle that we have. See, Peter, he confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, but is he still struggling with the application? Yes. He's struggling with the application of it because as we found out last week, confession is not perfection. He confessed, yes, you are the Messiah. And Jesus even said, you're the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All authority is given to you. But yet, Peter still has struggles in his life. That should give you a lot of hope for the God that we serve. He still has struggles in his life. See, even though the disciples, they knew who Jesus was, they often missed it. They often missed it, even though Jesus was standing there physically, in physical form, right in front of them. Have you ever missed something that was right in front of you? We often call those keys, right? Something can be sitting right in front of you, and you can miss it. We can miss things all the time. But because Jesus loves us, Jesus spent a lot of time correcting and redefining their view of Messiah. See, we often, we need to have our view, how we look things, it often needs to be corrected. That's why I have glasses. My younger years, I was going blind as a child. And I'll share a piece of that in my testimony. God, but then my, my dad brought me forward. I almost called my dad God, okay? He's a very humble man. My dad brought me forward, had the elders come around and pray for me, and my sight was restored. It was amazing. And it's not because I was a perfect little boy. It was the grace of God. As I've gone throughout, I had 20-20 vision. I started abusing my eyes, right, by like reading in dim light. And now I have to have eyeglasses, and my eyes are, I'm constantly readjusting it. But my eyes continually need to be readjusted. That's the same way it is with our walk with God. Because if we just let things go, if we just let things slide, our vision of who God is changes. And see, we're here with Peter. Jesus came as a suffering servant to reconcile us with God. But the view of that day when they were looking for Messiah, they weren't looking for a suffering servant, even though Isaiah talked about it, even though the Psalms talked about it. They were looking for a Messiah and a Savior, as we talked about last week, that was coming as a militant person, someone that would make, their, make them a better person or give them a better life. All this Messiah stuff is great, but I just want to be a better person. I just want an easier life. Does that sound familiar? How many you just want to be a better person? You want to just have a better life? Forget all the surrender stuff. Forget all the other stuff. Jesus, can you just make me a better version of me? This was the problem. This is the problem that they had. This is the same problem that we have today. See, we want someone who will fix everything for us. But Jesus says, give yourself to me and I will transform you and change the world through you. But it's a transformation that God does in us. It's a transformation because, see, Jesus didn't come just to give us a better life. 
John 10, 10 says he came to give us a new life. He came to give us a new life. He came to transform us. It's a transformative process. This is why the mountaintop experience is so important. See, Jesus gave the disciples this mountaintop experience, and he gives us the same mountaintop experiences because the disciples, like us, they needed confidence in who Jesus is. They needed confidence in it. They didn't lack information. Jesus was very clear with them. Had Jesus told them before that he was going to die and then rise again three days later? Yes. But even coming down from this experience, they were going, what is this about you dying and rising from the dead? They needed the confidence. See, what Jesus is doing in this mountaintop experience is he's trying to empty their bags because they have a lot of baggage. Does that resonate with anybody? You got baggage? We have baggage from what? We have baggage from old relationships. We have baggage from hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That's the CR mantra, right? The hurts and the habits and the hang-ups in our life. If we don't allow the Lord to come in and to work in those, we can allow that baggage to come in and to taint our view of who Jesus is. And not just Jesus, every relationship in your life. And Jesus is saying, you've got to shake it out. You've got to get rid of that old baggage. See, the disciples, they kept trying to use their past to explain their present, who Jesus is. And this is our same challenge that we have today. When we keep trying to use our past hurts and our past failures, we will never move forward because we'll always be confused. We'll say, why, why, is, why is God not doing what I want him to do? Often it's because we're confused and we're going the wrong way. And we're not looking at God at all. We need this fresh approach to the Lord. Allow him to come in and to cleanse us. So Jesus brings them to the mountain. And what did the disciples see? When the disciples went up there, they saw that Jesus was transfigured. And when you look at what that word means, it's actually this metamorphosis. It means to change into another form. They saw him glowing. And as we read earlier, it talked about even his clothes were so white, more than could even be bleached. See, he was being transformed. What they were seeing is they were seeing his body, but they were also seeing his deity as God. See, when Moses went up to the mountain and they came down, they said that his face reflected because he was in the presence of God. And we are called to be like mirrors that reflect the glory of God. That's not what was happening here. Jesus is God. Light was emanating from within him. They were getting a glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus, coming from inside of him to where even his clothes changed. Because where Moses reflected the glory of God, Jesus is the light. He is the source. He is the light of the world. And then they also heard the affirmation of God, that as this was happening, God spoke and said, this is my son, what? Listen to him. Listen to him. So they saw he was transfigured. They saw light coming from him. They heard the voice of God affirming that, he's the, that he is the son of God and to listen to him. And then they also saw Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine walking up a mountain and seeing all this happen? Good grief, Charlie Brown, okay? They saw Moses and Elijah. And there's so much that's been talked about this. You could spend a whole series just talking about this moment. But just very quickly, when we look at Moses, for those of you who study the Bible and going back, Moses represented the law. And when Jesus came, he said, I, I came not to abolish the law, but I came to what? To fulfill the law. So here's Moses, and here's Jesus. Jesus saying, I am the fulfillment of the law. 
They saw Elijah. Many theologians believe that Elijah represented the prophets, the prophecies of Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies. And especially with the disciples, these Jewish disciples looking at him, knowing this and seeing this, it's that revelation that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. He is the Son of God. He is the light of the world. You need to know it and embrace it. I know you know it here, but you need to know it here. It needs to be lived out in you. And when you look at Moses and Elijah, these were men that God used to rescue and to bring people to deliverance. And it's hard not to miss that now Jesus is your final deliverer. He's the one that will deliver you as a nation, will deliver you as a family, will deliver you as an individual, and will deliver us as the world if we will lean into him. This is the mountaintop experience. I can't wait to climb Mount Rainier and see what happens, okay? This is amazing. God is speaking to them. And when we look at what this experience did specifically for Peter, specifically for Peter, well, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us that this experience, it cemented and it solidified what he knew to be true, what he knew in his head and what he confessed with his mouth. Now seeing this, he's living it out. And he's saying, I know it's true. 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, we saw, this is Peter talking, we saw his majestic splendor with our eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And then verse 19, Peter says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This is shattering to me. This is life shattering to me, what was happening in Peter. Because when you look at Peter, you see a man who's not afraid to talk, but he's often getting himself in trouble. Jesus had to go behind Peter and fix things up. He had to, had to put a man's ear back on his head because Peter cut it off. He's like, what are you doing, Peter? And he still picked Peter. He still picked Peter. This is amazing. Here's why. Because when we see the glory of God, when we walk with God and we experience him, our lives become marked and changed forever. Have you ever been marked by an experience? So many experiences in our life, they mark us for the bad. Whether it's abuse, something terrible happened, something didn't go out the way that you wanted to, or like Peter, you stepped out in a confidence and you stepped confidently in the wrong direction and everything fell in front of you. Those experiences mark us. Even as a dad raising kids, I pray, dear God, please help me not to mark my kids in the bad way, <laughs> that they don't have to walk in a lack of confidence or a misunderstanding about who you are. Because we know that experiences affect us so much. But this is the experience that God is out to give us, to say, I am with you in every circumstance. Will you experience me? Because see, having an accurate view of God is so important. It is essential in our transformation. We need it. Because see, transformations are not just spiritual though that is essential. But when God transforms us, it becomes physical. It changes how we talk. It changes how we act. There's fruit of that transformation. What did Jesus say? You will know them by their fruit. Because when God transforms you, it's not just a head knowledge. You're not just teaching it, but you are living it. You are breathing it. See, we need these mountain experiences. We need to not be afraid of them. 
Because the Lord is there to speak to you, and He is speaking. But we need them so that we can walk forward in confidence in what we know. We're not abandoning logic. Don't, hear, don't mishear me. Okay? It's our mind, heart, soul, and strength, everything. But he comes in to make himself known to us so that we know, yes, you are my God. I will follow you. But we need to pay careful attention here. Because though we need a mountaintop experience, it's important to know that we don't live on mountaintop experiences. Do we know that? We don't live on mountaintop experiences, right? That's often called the honeymoon in some other relationships. How many of you were surprised when the honeymoon was over, those of you who got married? <laughs> or maybe like, it's been 50 years, it's been one big honeymoon, okay? So, well, that just meant I did everything wrong. But when we walk with the Lord, he gives us these experiences to cement it, but we're not meant to live here. See, Peter exclaimed, he said, Rabbi, it's so wonderful for us to be here. He loved it. But then he said, let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were terrified. See, Peter, he wanted to stay in the experience. He loved the experience. He was amazed at what he saw, but he couldn't explain it. See, seeing the unexplainable, it can cause us to fear. There are times we see things that we don't understand that we actually become fearful. And when we become afraid, our default is to go back to what we used to do. Have you been there? You walk into a fearful situation, whatever it is in any area of your life, you can't explain it, you feel fear, you go back to what you used to do because that feels safe to you. And that's what Peter did. He saw it, he couldn't explain it, so he started going back. And for Peter, this meant building a memorial. One theologian says it this way. He says, Judaism held on to the hope that God would once again tabernacle with his people as in the Exodus, meaning that God was defined by a building, by a place. Even throughout the Old Testament, when something incredible happened, they would build an Ebenezer. They would build something to memorialize it. This is what Peter knew. Because, see, God used to mean more of a place than a person, so they would go to the temple just to worship him. Now, is there anything wrong with going to the temple? No. There's nothing wrong with gathering together, and the Bible tells us to never neglect gathering together. We need to gather together, but God's not defined by this place. I worship God when I'm at home. I worship God when I'm downtown meeting a friend. I worship God wherever I am because God is everywhere. But Peter was missing the point. And here's one of the big lessons that we need to know. When we don't know what to say, what should we say? When we don't know what to say, what should we say? Nothing. Nothing. I guess you don't know what to say. So when we don't know what to say, (laughs) we should say nothing. See, we have a great radar, a great sniffer for telling when somebody's making it up. You can tell it, can't you? All right? When someone's making it up and they don't know what they're talking about, we immediately go, they don't know what they're talking about. Okay? This is what Peter was doing. See, Peter's strength, and we need to see the strength, Peter's strength was he was not afraid to act. Of all the disciples, if there was one person that had the word action after it, it was Peter. I'm sure when something walked in and things were happening, everyone looked at Peter and said, what's he going to do? 
I've served on teams like this. I was on a team one time where they asked for a lot of input, but you knew working for this person, you didn't give any input that wasn't praise. You ever been there, right? But there were, except for one guy, there was that one guy that when the boss would come in and say, all right, things aren't going well, I want to hear from you what's going wrong. The rest of us were almost like, wrong, what's going wrong? We don't see anything going wrong, except for one guy, and all of our heads would turn to him. And you see him go, well, all right, you asked. <laughs> and then this, this was before all the smartphones and video because, man, we would have videoed what happened next. We would have gotten fired for it, but we would have videoed it. Peter was not afraid to act. And sometimes this can be a strength. But to every strength, there's a shadow weakness. And Peter's shadow weakness to being willing to act out, his weakness was restraint. See, when we don't know what to do, we need to wait on God and say, God, what would you have me do? There's something going on here that I don't see. But Peter's need to always do something caused him to miss on what God was doing. And again, just like we have logic and we have experience, we have all these things wrapped together, we are called to live out our faith, to be people, men and women of action. But when we don't know what to do, who's in charge? God's in charge. And we wait on him and say, God, I saw something I don't understand. I don't know what to do. I'm waiting on you. And they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, but we don't like waiting. We like the eagle part. We want to start going, start grabbing our wings and start flying away. And God's saying, those that wait, those that wait. And this is our challenge. See, the challenge with trying to live continually on a mountaintop is it distorts our view of God. And this is what was happening to Peter. When we just want to live in that moment, we start equating God with amazing shows, right? We just want to see the next big show. We want the next bigger and better deal. We're saying, God, where's that next gift? And we start experiencing all these amazing things with God. And then when we start walking with God through sorrow, through pain, through grief, through loss, our vision is so distorted that we can't see that God is with us in sorrow. God is with us in loss. God is with us in the hard times. And is God always with us? Absolutely, he is. And sometimes we place the same experience with others or even with the church. How was the service today? Well, it didn't blow me away. I'm glad it didn't blow you away. How was dinner today? Well, it didn't blow me away. It's only going to get three stars in Yelp. Was it good? Oh, yeah, it was really good. When you live on a mountaintop, everything has to be better, 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 better. And in my life, it doesn't always work out that way. There are times I do a better job, and there are times I go and apologize and say, man, I really blew it at that time. <laughs> I need some help. My, our life experience is often like this, isn't it? We climb a mountain. But just like Kilimanjaro we talked about earlier, when I was up on the top, our guides gave us 20 minutes because it was just below 20,000 feet, which is the kill zone. And when you get that high, the oxygen is thin, and your body can't sustain it. And you actually start getting the effects of altitude sickness, either cerebral edema, where there becomes fluid on the brain that can take your life, or pulmonary edema, where fluid starts to build up in the lungs. It happened to one of our teammates who was in great shape. 
and he had to be rescued down to the bottom. We weren't made to live up there. We weren't made to live up there. We need this right view because a wrong view of Messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. It leads to that wrong view of, of discipleship. And with Peter, he was trying to make Jesus be a place, and Jesus is saying, no, you're my temple. I came here to transform you so that I can live in you. And we need to hear this. We gather together, but Jesus is out to transform us because his goal is to live in us, to be God with us, God alive in us. Peter wanted to build something because if you build something, you can control it. God is here, and when I'm here, I'm with God, and when I'm not, I can do whatever I want. This is not who the Messiah is. Jesus is saying, I love you. I am with you. I am here to transform you, to be Christ in you. See, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us, with us. Normally, every week we have a list of questions, and if you look in your listening guide, you'll see a lot of questions. But as I was preparing this morning, I felt like God putting one question before us. And here's the one question that I'd like for you to focus on. What's holding you back from experiencing God the way he wants you to experience him? Think about that. What is getting in the way of me experiencing God? For some of my friends, they're afraid of God being just an experience. We've seen abuses of this when it all becomes about experience. We've seen this in our relationship where our relationships all become about the experience. And unless things keep getting better and better and better, we'll say, no, thank you. I'm going to go on to, relation, to the next relationship that's all new. But that's a wrong view of God. God wants you to know him. God wants you to walk with him. God wants you to hear him speaking to your voice. For some, it's others. There can be a lot of things. For some of us, we've filled our life with so many things, there's not room for God. God is speaking, but so is everything else in your life. For some of you, God may be saying, it's time to turn off YouTube. We're in this Lent season as we turn faceward and walk with Jesus towards the cross where he died for us. It's a time of stripping down. And as we ask God this question, I believe he's going to be speaking to us and he's going to be calling out things that you think are good. He's going to be calling out wrong ideas of him that maybe you've had for months, years, decades. And he's saying, are you ready to walk with me in the fullness? He wants to live in you, with you, walking through you, empowering you. We have an opportunity, if we will trust and if we will listen. Amen? Amen.